How you doing today? We're going to be in the book of James, and uh, we've taken a long, a long respite from our, our, our tracking verse by verse through the book of James. And so if you would, we're going to pick up in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Um, we'll have it on the screen here for you. And we're going to start by reading this. In verse 12, it says this, James 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or his own, and then it goes, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Life has a way of blindsiding us, doesn't it? I mean, uh, one thing is life's going the way you expect it, and then all of a sudden, going according to plan, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something hits and attacks you. Um, I had just that experience on Thursday. I was planning to go do our food ministry, and um, uh, and you probably noticed that I'm moving a little bit slower than usual, and I do have a chair up here, and I don't usually I'm you know doing somersaults on the stage. So um, this is this is the reason why Thursday. Um, I was driving with Roy Richardson, one of our deacons, down to uh, Gallatin to do the food ministry, and all of a sudden, I became uncomfortable. My back became very uncomfortable, and I thought, I'm sitting on my wallet wrong, okay? I got, not that I got a fat wallet. The only reason it's fat is because it's got credit cards and receipts in it, okay? So I was, I thought, I'm sitting on it wrong. So I move it, and the next thing I know, it's, it's hurting worse, and I got my hand back here, and finally, Roy looked at me. He said, are you okay? And I said, No. Take me to the hospital. I was having a kidney stone, and I had emergency surgery that day on Thursday to remove said kidney stone. It was fun. It was awesome. My day went exactly according to plan. That's exactly how I planned it. I was going to just, I wanted Roy to give me a ride, really. I wasn't planning on going to food ministry. I just needed a ride to the hospital. I didn't want to pay the ambulance charges. No, it's completely blindsided me. To- took me completely off guard. Changed my whole plans for the week. Nobody plans to have, like, you know, have those things happen to us. Life happens that way. And we have, we've been talking about trials that come along and tests that come along in life in the book of James. In fact, he's told us some things under the inspiration of the Spirit to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because you know God's at work in these situations. He's working to produce things in you. He's working to produce good things in you. And we've even seen in verse 12, it says, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he received the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. So there's trials he talks about, and then he talks about in verses 13, which verse 13 through 18 is going to be our major text for the day. It talks about, uh, James talks about temptation. Now, you can tell the transition happens because trials and temptations are two different things. However, there is a continuity here because the same word for trials is the word used for temptation in the Greek language. Now, one thing you need to know and understand about this is the context is key to understanding whether you call something a trial or whether you call it a temptation. 
And the context really helps us here. It's the same Greek word, so the idea continues. It goes from trials to temptation. So there's a continuity of thought, but there's a difference between the two. A trial or a test is a situation or a challenge, a difficulty, a blindsided difficulty, if you will, that, bring, that God brings into our lives or he allows into our lives in some cases in which he means it to refine or mature us. You get this? God does not mature or refine us through easy times. Usually those are the rest before he comes in with difficulties to make us more like him. And so we've seen that. That's why James has given so much talk to trials. There's a difference, though. Trials to temptations, the difference of a trial is it's God sent the trial, and God is working through it to do something good in our lives, to refine us, to, to get rid of our sin, or to make us more like him. That's what a trial is. Now, a temptation is kind of a byproduct. It's not necessarily a byproduct, but it, it kind of exists in, it, it can exist when a trial is present, when a difficulty is present. And so here's what we see with a temptation. Temptation is not a trial, but they're related in the sense that when a difficulty happens, we are, we are drawn towards evil by our desires. The evil does not come with the situation you're coming into. The temptation does not come there. The trial is a situation. The temptation is the inward leaning towards your heart, towards evil, that comes from a difficult situ- situation. Let me, there's another way to put it, and, and, a, and a, one commentator said this, a, uh, a temptation is, happens because a wrong inner reaction to the testing that God meant for our good, and it may become an occasion for us to sin. Does that make sense? trials and testing God brings into our lives for good things. However, in those difficult situations, our desires can run amok and point us and lead us towards sin, and that's when a trial can become a temptation. But here is what the author wants us to understand, that God, he wants us not to be deceived because God is not a tempter, he's a giver. I want to show you that from Scripture. If you look in verse 13, there is a, the command. It says, let no one, there's an imperative here, let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So if you want to leave with something, command, no one should leave here saying, I have been tempted by God. And he gives two reasons why. We see it with this, in, with the word for. It gives us the reason. Let no one say, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. So here's the first reason why you can't say you've been tempted by God. The first reason is this. God is not tempted with evil. He cannot be. My, my grandmother had a boyfriend a long time ago. His name was Doug. And when they would go out on the town, it was usually they'd watch an Atlanta Braves game at the house. This was back when they were on the Superstation TBS, Okay. They'd watch the Atlanta Braves, and then they go out. Especially, it was, it was either KFC or Po Folks. Po Folks was like the super nice date they would go on, okay? They would never call it dating. They would say, that's my friend Doug, okay? And so my granny would go out with him. And you know what? They would go eat. Like, if I want to go out on a date, I want some, like, large piece of a, of a, a cow. That's what I like. I mean, I saw Kevin, I saw something on Facebook, you're eating this giant ribeye steak. God bless you. It had the bone hanging out of that thing. You're eating it like a caveman. You're a rock star. I, uh, that's what I think of. But when they would go out on their date nights, they'd go to Poe Folks, and they would eat liver and gizzards. 
right? I heard, that's exactly right. Because that's, that's where I'm at. Like, what are you thinking? Why would you go out and eat that? Like, if you had to eat it, that's okay. But you go out to eat this. Now, I want you to know something. You could put in front of me pounds and pounds and pounds of fried gizzards and liver, and I would not be tempted not one time to eat that. Not even close. You know why? Because it's not in my nature to eat that, okay? Now, you might even say, like, what if you got super hungry? If I got super hungry, I might on the, you know, the idea that it would be fried. But see, that is, that's, where, that's where the um, analogy ends. God does not have a taste for sin, he is of the, the most holy nature that, and it's hard for us as human beings who are gripped by sin and who are in its clutches so often to realize that God, there is not even an inkling of temptation. Nothing tempts him because sin is repugnant to him and is so far against his nature that it would not in any way tempt him. So the first reason why you can't say that God is a tempter is because he doesn't, it's not in his nature to be tempted. He is so anti-evil. He is so pure and holy in his character. And in fact, the, the, the language helps us see that so clearly. Because it says he cannot be tempted with evil. I mean, it's kind of like the word here is like he is, it, you know, atheist means non-theist. He is atemptationable, okay, or a, he's atempted. He cannot be tempted. There's no way. It's not anywhere near his, his in, in his character whatsoever to be tempted. That's how pure our God is. So when you're in a situation and a trial comes and you do feel tempted, you can't blame him because it didn't even come through him. See, his trials, when he gives them, it all, it's all about motive. When he gives you a trial and a testing, it is not to see if you'll screw up. Do you get how much that changes the situation? How many times do you think about it this way? God's put this in my life to, to, to screw me up. To, make, to, to try to get me in a place where I'm going to sin. No, God is there to test and refine and to make you more like him because he is a good father. He is a good God. And we also know, as we see in the passage, just, and we're going we're gonna to emphasize this more, he's the giver of good things, not bad things. And temptation leads to sin, which leads to death. So note this. That God, you cannot say when you're in a, tempt, or in, a, in a trial that you're being tempted by him. The temptation, it comes from within because he has no, no inclination, no taste for sin whatsoever. And then it goes into verse 13 going on. The second reason that you should not say that God, that, um, that you're not tempted by God is this. He himself tempts no one. The Bible is very clear now. He, because he doesn't even have a taste for it, he will tempt no one. Because it's not even in his thinking that he would ever try to get someone to sin. It's anti his nature. Then it goes on into verse 14. But each person is tempted. And so this is, this is the third reason why you should not say that, that God is tempting you. Because number one, we see God cannot be tempted. He does not tempt. This is number two. And number three is this. Our temptations come from inside. The common way that our society likes to view evil is that every, every wicked action has its root outside of us. Like it's my environment, or it's what the political system is, or it's because I, poverty, it's because of this. Do you know what? Mankind's number one problem is on the inside. It's our own sinful desires 
our own bent towards sin, our own selfishness with regards to I want to be Lord and not God. Your problems are not outside of yourself. Your problems are inside of yourselves, and my problem is inside of myself. It's desires run amok. And so we see in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Here's the nature of temptation. It's when you are lured and enticed by your own desire. Now, desires are not wrong in and of themselves, right? The desire to have a meal after church today, and even some of you right now, as soon as I mentioned a meal, there was a rumble happening in the stomach. You're like, I oh, know, he's talking about meals, and that's what I'm thinking about, okay? That, that is not a wrong desire, because if you did not have the desire to eat, you would not live. You need food to sustain yourself. But we all know that desire can get out of hand, i.e. the holidays, i.e. thinking about you know, the new you, new year type stuff and hitting the gym, right? That desire can run amok. It can go outside of the bounds in which it was, there, which it was placed there for. See, God gives us desires. Those, those desires are not bad. Desires are not bad. Fulfilling our desires outside of the will of God are where we get in the wrong. And when our desires, when we are allowed to be run by, the, by our desires and not the Spirit of God, that is when we get down the road towards sin and death. And that's where temptation starts. And so the writer here, James, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. His own desires put out a trap for him, if you will. We have a little bit, the words here of enticed and lured have the idea of fishing. Now, some of you completely, when I heard it said fishing, some of you were like, oh, I'm listening now. And some of you were like, <laughs> you lost me, bro. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm not a great fisherman. <laughs> Mike Keesley knows that very well. We took Judson out there. He was very gracious to help a largely moronic fisherman get out there and catch his son some fish. But I want you to think about it. What is, what is the idea of fishing? You have some piece of food, something to entice a fish on a lure. You sling that out into the water, however you want to do it, whether it's fly fishing and you cast it a bunch or whether it's just you know, your typical fishing. You sling that out into the water, and what happens? The fish is attracted to that object, whether it's shiny or whether it smells like food or whether it actually is the food. And lo and behold, they go and they grab that food, and it's not just food. It's just the taste of it and what's on the other end. A hook and eventual death. And that's the idea here, that our lusts, our desires run outside of their natural bound, outside of their God-given abilities. And we see things that are forbidden, which look good to us, and we go after them, and we find out quickly that our lusts, though satisfied in the moment, have left us empty and set us towards death. And that is the nature of sin. When trials happen, we try to find things to help our situation out other than God. We regularly try to self-medicate. 
whether that's drugs or alcohol or food or any number of things. We try to run. All right, we let our desires go away as instead of bringing ourselves to the holy God, to men and to work and to fix us. We are, we are creatures who are given to lust. We've been given desires, but those desires turn into lust. Those lusts send us after things we know will taste good for a moment, but will leave us empty and ultimately lead us to death. And that is the nature of That's the nature of temptation. When we see something we want more than we want God, that is the nature of temptation. When we are lured away by the fact that this thing will fix me, this thing will help me through my tough time, this thing will be better, we are lured away by our own desires. The core of temptation is not those around you. It's what's in your heart. There was a funny story I heard. There's a young guy, and this was from a, a private school I went to. There's a young guy who was trying to, uh, trying to follow the Lord, but he had a problem with lust, as a lot of young men do. And this girl walked in, and it, she was scantily clad. And, and uh, I guess I could say scantily clad. That sounded very, like, medieval, but she was not wearing much, okay? Walked into the classroom, and as I heard this from the teacher, the kid <laughs> stands up covers his eyes, and yells, flee youthful lust, and runs out of the classroom. Now, I did not experience this firsthand, but I was told that that is what happened. I'm not necessarily recommending you do that. However, Jesus did say some pretty uh, wild things about if, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, right? I want you to understand something, the inward desire, that was actually not that girl's fault. I mean, obviously she had sinned somewhere else, but the lust that that man was experiencing was not necessarily that girl's fault. It was an inward desire gone gone run amok, and at least he was trying to run from it. That's more than I can say about a lot of the times how we live. See, I want you to understand that God tempts no one, and it's very important that you see this and understand the character of God because when trials come and you are blindsided and trials turn in our hearts, when, our, when we're, it's so difficult that we are tempted to go to another God, to go to another fix, to go to something else to fix it, unless we realize the heart of God here, we will question, doubt, and run away from him. And we got to see our God's heart. Our God's heart is not to tempt us. He's not the tempter, but he's the giver. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says that in every situation, you won't be tempted beyond what you can stand. And then in that case, he provides a way out, a way of escape from the temptation. Our God is good to us. But I want you to know something and see this. God is not a tempter. It's not in his character. He tempts no one. And you're, if you're experiencing temptation because you're going through a difficult season, it is not his problem. He's not doing it to you. It is an inward problem, and you need to seek an inward solution through the Spirit of God and through His Word to counteract you. So I want you to see that. Going on, it says this, and then he talks about the deadly nature of, of desire run amok. It says in verse 15, the desire, when it was conceived, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's also a play, this idea in verse 14 of your desires luring you and enticing you. This same idea and the word usage is in the book of Proverbs when you see the harlot in the book of Proverbs who's hanging out on the corner and is trying to get any man who will come by her to come in. And and she's flattering and she's got her perfume on. And so we move from this idea that, that of fishing to this harlot trying to find some prey 
And then you get to this situation in verse 15 that when sin, when lust, as it says, or desire, in verse 15, when desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. When your desire comes to the place where it's welling up and must be fulfilled, at least that's what we think, it gives birth to sin. The root cause is ourself here. When we see something we want more than God, we, our affections are horribly distorted, we, our lusts, we're in a difficult season, so we want something that would make us feel better, and so we go after the things that will not satisfy but seem to like look really good right now, so we go after that thing, and then what happens? That's the sin. So now, now lust has conceived sin, and if sin left unchecked, what does it say? Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And how can you fight against this? Well, first off, one of the ways you fight against this is to realize that God is not the tempter because we like to pass the blame, right? Don't we like to pass the blame? It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. We've been doing it since the garden. Adam, why'd you do this? That woman you gave me, listen to the serpent. It's your, your fault, God. And we're in a tough situation. God, why'd you put me? I would not be doing this if you did not have all these circumstances happening to me. I wouldn't be doing this. It's all your fault. And if she or if he, if uh, 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 the Bible takes the blame off of everybody else for your own sin, you know where it puts it? Squarely on your shoulders. You cannot escape it. But here's the good news. We can look in our God and see he is not a tempter. Takes away our blame game with him. He's not the tempter. He's good. He's perfect. He's holy. He doesn't tempt anybody. It's not a part of his nature. Our desires come from within, but we need the help from without. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. And that's when we get to verse 16. Don't be deceived, my brothers, my dearly beloved brothers. This is who God is. He's not a tempter, but he's a giver. Every good and perfect gift is from above. See, do you know why? Here's another reason why we can say that God is not a tempter. You know why? Because temptation, all right, leads to lust, leads to sin, which leads to death. Our Lord came to abolish sin and death. He is not the giver of death, he is the bringer of life. And so we see that here. Don't be deceived. Don't you, don't, when you're in a difficult time, don't think God is tempting you. Don't think bad thoughts of God. Don't think God, thoughts of God that are not high enough about him. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every gift and good and perfect gift is from above, and it might even be your trials. That might be the perfect gift that you need. As I think about it, it's been four years since I had a kidney stone. I don't want to have another one. I hope it's another 75 years, and I'm dead before that, like I have another one. I might have a kidney stone as a dead person. But the first time I had one, the Lord kept me out of a situation that would have been disastrous for me. I know exactly. I was smitten with that kidney stone and out of, out of my wits on painkillers for two weeks, four years ago, for, for my own good. 
Now, if you've ever had one, that sounds insane because they are not good. Mike, was I looking good? No, I was not looking good, man. I know for a fact, though, I can boast in that infirmity because four years ago, God kept my stupid self out of trouble with a kidney stone. And if that's not a good and perfect gift, I don't know what is. All these good and perfect gifts come from above. He is the giver. And we've seen that even, and that's why we can count it joy in trials, because we know he's at work. We know he's about more than our comfort. We know he's about our holiness. We know he's about making us more like him. And that's what our heart's beat is when we come to know him. When we, don't, when we see him as, we want, as, as he ought to be seen, we, we want to be like him. We want to know him. We want to experience communion with him. We want Jesus. And the moderate, the, the moderate to severe discomfort that it brings to make us more like him is really nothing compared to knowing God. And says, brothers, don't be deceived. God is not a tempter. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And it's from above. We used to, you probably heard the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And that, that is the heartbeat of the, of the believer who understands the nature of God. That He does bring difficulty. He doesn't tempt. He brings trials, but the trials are for our good. We can count it joy. He's there in the midst of us. He's growing us to make us more like Him. He's making us more into His character so that we may be a greater blessing and may point it to Him more. Ultimately, that is our God, and He is so good. So every situation we come to, it is a, it's a tempta- there's a temptation there, that, but it's from within. It's not from Him. He's good. He's a giver. He gives us all the good and perfect things. And as Job would say, should we accept good from the Lord and not difficulty? Blessed be the name of the Lord is what he would say. Then it also goes down, I want you to know this, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is just the great news. You ever thought about it? These promises were made thousands of years ago through men moved by the Spirit to write the exact words of God. And there is a part of us that wants to be like, well, look, that's antiquated. That was written thousands of years ago. I, how, can we, how can we trust that? How can we look back to this book to help us in 2017? How? Here's why. God does not change. The way he acted then is the way he acts now because his character does not change. The grace and the promises he made, he doesn't just kind of say, I'm done with those. The consequences for sin laid out, the holiness expressed, his character, his nature, they may be in different times and different cultures, but they stay the same because there's not a single ounce of variation with him. Now, that is, so, that is so foreign to our thinking, but it's so true and so thankful that God does not change. I often say it, 33-year-old Matt would hate 18-year-old me. I would want to hit my 18-year-old self with a car. I was a jerk. I was arrogant and just a punk, okay? And if I saw my 18-year-old self driving, if I knew, you know, I might hit the gas a little bit and just give him a little pop, all right? Just maybe not hurt, you know, kill me so I could grow up, but, you know, 
Think about hairstyles, how they've changed. Think about the lack of hair that some of us have now, okay? Think about, think about if, you were, if you were here and we had to put pictures of you and how you looked and acted from when you were 17 on, a, like on the screen here, how many of you would be like just pumped about that? Yeah. Okay? How many of you experienced such a change? Maybe it's from your life before Christ to now that you're just like, you can't even, like, you don't even resemble that person that you used to look like. See, God, in his infinite holiness and goodness, he doesn't learn. He doesn't have to. He's perfect in his knowledge and his holiness. There's nothing he needs to learn. And so he does not change. And he's, it's not like he's going to be good for a while and then be bad later. Our God's not arbitrary. He is who he is. He always will be. And he's the father of life who gives every good and perfect gift. It's from above, and there is no variation whatsoever. And then in the greatest thing we can see here, just as this, this, it kind of is the cherry on the top of this passage is this. Of his own will, the one who gives out every good and perfect gift, of his own will, he brought us, for, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, create, of his creatures. God does not tempt anyone. Never say that. Don't be deceived. God, is not, God does not tempt. He's not a tempter. He's a giver. The greatest gift that he ever gave us was he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light through his word of truth that we might be the first fruits of his creatures. You cannot credit a God who would give life to dead men and dead women who were rebellious and who walked their own way and blamed him for their own temptations and sins. You cannot see that God as anything but amazing and great and good. You can't see him as a tempter if you realize the salvation that has been brought to us in Christ. What is this? What is this whole passage? Is, these are, this is written to people who are going through a difficult time. They have been scattered about because of their faith. They are experiencing trials of all sorts, and they're being encouraged. And some of them, the trials are, a, are an avenue for them at this point to temptation because of their own lusts. And he, James, is calling them on the inspiration of the Spirit, is calling them back to see God as he truly is. That is not a tempter, but as a giver of every good and perfect thing even the trials and tests. And that he is seen as this good God who just pours blessings from heaven, the greatest of which is our salvation, that we were called forth out of darkness by the word of truth, that we might be the first fruits of his creation. And I think, man, I tell you, so much, when we hear God's word, we have to respond I'm not talking about necessarily responding like maybe you've seen many years ago in church, but at least we have to do something in our wills, in our mouth, speaking, singing. And so we're going to ask the band to come up. You guys will start making your way up. And we are going to sing a song that, asks, that we're going to ask God to recalibrate our minds again, to see him not as a tempter, but as a giver. 
We want to see God for who he is. And when we see him for who he is, we doesn't, it doesn't matter what comes in our life, what difficulties come, because we know they're from a good God who is being good to us and who doesn't change. And who, at the very end of the day, when we can't see what he's doing, we do know that he has brought us from death to life, from darkness to light through his word of truth. And we can trust him in the darkest of our moments. And we can fight temptation through the power of knowing who God is. So if you would, let's bow. We're going to pray and we're going to sing in response. Father, we come. We ask you to take us back, or maybe some for the first time, take us to the place where we just have holy surrender and trust to you. No matter what you bring in our lives, you're not trying to tempt us, but you may be testing and trying us, but you are a good giver of all things. And that you're even working in our difficulties. God, help those who are struggling and being beat down with temptation to fight that temptation with a knowledge of you. So take us back and see. let us see you again just clearly. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Take us back the place we began. The simple pursuit of nothing but you. The innocence of the heart in your head. Take us back, God, take us back to an unswerving faith in the power of your name, a heart beating for your kingdom to reign, a church that is known for your presence again. God, take us back. Nothing and no one comes close to you. Nothing could ever come close. Nothing and no one. It's you and you only. Nothing could ever come close. Our hearts real and keep your grace close. You're bringing us back, you're bringing us home to an unswerving faith and the power of your name.
known for your presence again. God, take us back. Because nothing and no one comes close to you. Nothing could ever come close. Nothing and no one is you and you only. Nothing could ever come close. Nothing and no one comes close to you. Nothing could ever come close. Nothing and no one is you and you only. Nothing could ever come Swerving faith in the power of your name, a heart beating for your kingdom to reign, a church that is known for your presence again. God, take us Nothing. 